Can you get off your phone, would you? No, yeah, but this is quite funny. So, at linknotfound on Twitter has tweeted, It's February, so I want to know where we'll go on a date for Valentine's Day. Begin the sentence with, I would take you out, and let Autofill do the rest. And there's there's just some very, very funny ones. Oh, I'm going to have a go at that. I would take you out there, and then I would have to say, thank Jesus Christ for that. (laughs) I wonder if if we could just do this with satire. So type in satire Satire is, is. and then let the autocorrect do the rest. Satire is not really good, but it's not a bad thing. That's pretty true, isn't it? Satire is the only way to get a chance. Satire is not the best idea ever, but it has always been a nice thing. Oh, that's good. Satire is going to be able to get the bus and train to Doncaster. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I wonder if listeners would like to have a go doing this. That's a good idea, yeah. It's good, isn't it? They could do or use autofill on their phones to write a sentence that begins with satire is. Yeah. And they could write it into a tweet and send it to us at at satire no more on Twitter. I hope they do. Oh, it made me cry, the idea that no longer six white Oxbridge men can make a comedy show. Now we need one of this, one of that, everybody represented. This is bullshit. I no longer want to be a white male. I don't want to be blamed for everything wrong in the world. I tell the world now, I'm a black lesbian. My name is Loretta, and I'm a BLT, a black lesbian in transition. What? are you actually talking about? I'm talking about how I'm really sick of all the PC stuff. I'm sick of being told that, oh, you know, you can't just have comedy being white men from Oxbridge. You have to have all diversity and stuff. And that makes comedy bad. And it's not fair, is it? All this hatred directed at white Oxbridge men. It's actually really racist. Did you go to Oxford or Cambridge, Adam? No. I went to Oxbridge, which is actually far superior. <laughs> did you actually, though? No. I, I, I didn't succeed in the interview at <laughs> Cambridge. I also failed the interview. And that is why it's fine, actually, for us to do a podcast, because we didn't go to Oxford or Cambridge. <laughs> do you also, can we clear up, do you actually tell the world you're a black lesbian in transition? No, of course not. Sorry. Okay, well now we've got that straightened out, I think I know what's happened here. And I think what you've done is you've confused your words for the words of Terry Gilliam, famously, of course, known as the seventh python. And what Gilliam was doing there was responding to the words of the BBC controller of comedy commissioning, Tony Hayes. Shane Allen. Shane Allen, that's right, yeah. And Shane Allen said, on the subject of Monty Python's Flying Circus, 70s surreal sketch show famous for the dead parrot sketch and the lumberjack song and also some cartoon bits that go on much too long he said well what did he say he said if you're going to assemble a team now it's not going to be six oxbridge white blokes it's going to be a diverse range of people who reflect the modern world that's right yeah and actually terry gilliam wasn't the only ex-python to object to this because increasingly wrong man john cleese <laughs> tweeted to reassure anyone who felt that python was a bit white and male and they only really use one female character ever and she was always mainly funny because of her tits and was even actually scripted the humorous refrain but it's my only line he tweeted unfair we were remarkably diverse caps for our time we had three grammar school boys one a puff and Gilliam though not actually black was a yank and no slave owners. Oh, so that's all right then. And of course, also, Monty Python was a very long time ago now. The age of the Oxbridge comedians, and of course, satirists emerging from the footlights, storming the Edinburgh Festival, dominating the screens for years. Well, that's out of history, isn't it? That's the olden days. These days, in the now times, for every Stephen Fry, there's a young working class northern woman who's equally lauded for her intellect and her obtruse vocabulary. For ev- uh, sorry, and <laughs> that's appropriate, isn't it? Yeah. And her abstruse vocabulary. For every David Mitchell than Robert Webb. There's at least 47 other shows like Peep Show, but it's about women. It's all very sorted nowadays, and I'm glad I live in the modern times and not the old times. Or is it? 
is it actually yes we're hearing from more diverse voices now and the fact that Shane Allen is who he is obviously suggests that as a society we're more mindful now about who it is we're listening to who gets to do satire and comedy and perhaps they shouldn't all be from the same two universities the same ethnic background the same sex or the same sexual orientation so this episode is about satire and elitism and satire and women and we're going to be talking to the famous Janie Godley, who explicitly said that we could call her a c**t. I don't want to call her a c**t, though. It feels wrong. <laughs> Shall we all agree that we will beep the word when it comes up in the interview? Yeah, I think we should. Um, I think, unless there are any instances where we feel it's really strongly artistically justified, I don't want this episode to be peppered with that word. Because... This is a very special episode of our podcast, isn't it? It is, because it's our podcast's very first birthday. We released episode one a long, long time ago on 14th of February 2019, and this is our 10th 10th episode, episode 10. So, one o, yeah, double digits. Yeah, it's the big one o. So, happy birthday, Smith & War Talk About Satire. What is Smith & War Talk About Satire? You know what it is. Well, let's imagine I've never heard of the successful award-winning podcast Smith & War Talk About Satire. What is it? Well, it's the podcast in which I, Joe War, a senior lecturer in 19th century literature at York St. John University. And you, Adam Smith, a senior lecturer in 18th century literature at York St. John University. Us, we talk about the form, function, future and history of satire, ruthlessly cannibalising our research in a desperate bid to amass quantifiable impact for what we do. <sighs> Thank you, I feel better now. And what a year it's been. Yes, and if listeners want to hear about what a year it had been, they can listen to our last episode, which was called A Year in Satire. So let's yeah. not do that again now. Okay, yeah, we've established that it's been a year. But what we could do is unveil... A big bit of a news! A big bit of news! Big bit of news! Last time we had a big bit of news, the big bit of news was that we'd established the York Research Unit for the Study of Satire, wasn't it? It was. Why are you? SOS. And this time, our big bit of news is news of a unit of a more literal kind, isn't Mm. it? It is. A small unit with a glass door which has been temporarily installed in the York St. John University Arts Foyer entitled the Satire Unit. And that is the brainchild of Dr Claire Hind, who is inviting staff and students from across the university to contribute their own objects of satire to go on display inside it. So just to be clear, it's an actual Mm. unit and you can put things in it Mm -hmm. and it's called the Satire Unit. And there'll be a different piece of art every month for the next year. And possibly beyond. And the first piece of art is an installation by Dr Benjamin Garlick, who on Twitter is known as... Geographical Ben. And it's his take on the love-hate political debate, and it's called Marmite Politics. And it's um, seeking to satirise the binary nature of contemporary discourse, the cult of political personality, and the absence of critical thought and reflection from society and politics. But if you want to see exactly how the, the exhibit Marmite Politics does that, perhaps you should go and have a look. Yes, if you're in York. But if you're one of the 85% of listeners who aren't in York, yeah. I'm sure the images will be made available and uh, I know that Claire I believe it's on the internet and Claire will be developing the project into a book as well so if you are one of our listeners in New Zealand for example yeah. uh, or Germany or France where we have listeners as well uh, you'll be able to get that book online at some point in the future yes that's the end of the big bit of news big, big bit, bit of news. news so satire Class, mm. men, mm. whiteness. What do you think, actually? Terry Gilliam seems to me expressed that in a, a pretty graceless and offensive way. Yeah. Do you think we're all about the benefit of the doubt and about looking at things from all possible sides? Do you think there's any mileage in what he says and in what John Cleese says? No. Yeah, no, fair enough. It, obviously, I think anybody can do satire. Anyone is capable of doing satire. Mm. Whether that satire is successful or not, it's unlikely that the, the cause or reason of the root cause of that is anything to do with their personal 
personal identity. But then it's not just the question of who can and can't do satire, it's where is this satire seen and heard? So yeah. Terry Gilliam there is, and the control of the BBC are talking specifically about satire that we're going to see on the television. Mm. And it's an observable truth that there has been an imbalance, hasn't there? Yeah. For, for, for all of the time that pop entertainment has been a thing, it seems, until recently yeah. where attempts there's been attempts to challenge that. I think that's interesting as well, because like you said, anyone can do satire, and that that's kind of true. Mm. But also, you have to be, I think you do have to be quite clever to do satire, mm. don't you? There has to be something about being observant and being sharp and being able to cut to what's important or cuts of what's most foolish or most in need of satire but all too often we or society Mm. have been a a bit prone to only see cleverness when it manifests itself in in white men and we also not entirely illogically associate the universities of oxford and cambridge with cleverness and then make the kind of logical mistake of thinking that's the only place where cleverness is. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? When we spoke to DM Report, one of the reasons why he said that he could didn't consider himself as a satirist is because he wasn't clever enough to yes, be a satirist. Yes, he said that a few times, didn't he? Um, yeah. He did. But, I mean, a child can do satire. A child has yeah. the capability to do satire. I've seen lots of small children satirise their teachers yeah, uh, yeah. In, in life. So it's not necessarily... So I think everyone ha- potentially has the capability to do yeah. satire. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's innate to a certain extent, isn't it? People exist in the world and see what's ridiculous about it, and quite a lot of them are quite gifted at, at skewering that yeah. and making other people laugh while they do so. I mean, maybe, yeah, there's, a, there's an extent to which satire could be almost a reflex. But like I say, that doesn't necessarily mean it's successful or that it works or that you could do it as a profession. Yeah. But I think anyone is probably capable of using satire to get through a day at work or something. I mean, also, Monty Python wasn't primarily or explicitly satire anyway. No. It was surreal comedy, but yeah. we've, we've kind of used Terry Gilliam's statements because we want to think about privilege and satire and yeah. satire and identity and so on. But it, but you're right though. I mean, if you do think of satire, certainly in my mind, the the immediate images that are conjured are Peter Cook, Ian Hislop, Have I Got News For You, yeah. BBC Radio 4, and it is... Who's that Who's that satirist who went to Oxford? Oh, God. Stuart, Stuart Lee. Stuart Lee, yeah. Stuart, Stuart Lee. Lee went to Oxford and yeah. Richard Herring went to Oxford. Yeah. So it just proves you don't have to have been in the footlights. You could come at it via a very very different route and, and yeah. go to Oxford instead yes. but I think, I think the point you're making there mm. is be that all as it may or shall <laughs> a lot of the big names in the history of satire are white male mm. Oxbridge educated is that just because a lot of the people in power whether it's the power to be in government or the power to mock the people in government they're all disproportionately white male Oxford yeah. educated so is it that or it could what? be that I mean I think partly as well there's a tendency for satirical material produced by that group for that group to identify itself as satire which isn't the case elsewhere so for instance yeah. Private Eye comes from that world and it's a satirical magazine to be read by that world whereas Viz arguably also has a satirical component but doesn't go around describing itself as a satirical magazine and it's interesting when we've spoken to people on the podcast some people are quite quick to say they don't want to be considered satirists because they're not of that world it's kind of mm. so some of it is labeling i think so <sighs> can you think of any women who do satire uh, who are in the mainstream it is more difficult isn't mm. it one example that springs to mind is bridget christie mm-hmm. who talks about what well, she, she sort of describes herself as not educated doesn't mm. she and that's part of her shtick and then does a lot of explicitly satirical work dressing up as insects and the like yeah and, and as we know 
satire is when it's like the real world but there's animals in it yeah so i think she is a satirist i'm fairly sure she's a woman mm -hmm. and i think she identifies as being working class mm -hmm. and certainly isn't oxbridge educated okay uh, bridget christie doesn't necessarily get the the same amount of exposure as some of the no. the people we talked about even the dead ones but there is so one so one. what's the problem there terry, is why is terry gilliam get upset is he just yeah. challenged by one 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 satirist well, I think Terry Gilliam was upset by the idea that in the future commissioners would would look askance mm. at a bunch of six white men who wanted to do a programme. Yeah. And I think in Terry Gilliam's head, what would then happen is the commissioner would be like, you have to have this black lesbian in transition mm -hmm. figure mm -hmm. as a token. And, and he's also assuming, as, as is often the case when people talk about things like decolonising the curriculum, yeah. and then make the leap, which isn't justified, that anything you put on that isn't Shakespeare will be definitely be of lesser quality mm. but you'll be studying it because it's good for you and because it's PC and so on there's there's this unchallenged assumption that it will be worse, so I think he's saying they'll put someone in there just to tick the box and have some representation and diversity and we'll all have to put up with the fact that it won't be as funny yeah which is dodgy it's very dodgy yeah, yeah 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 so he's locating the ability to effective satire there as an immutable trait of yeah a, a, well done elite. to all the white male oxbridge graduates yes. for being good at satire yeah it, it's in the blood yes as are so many things and that seems yeah. problematic doesn't it it does I mean, but partly this conversation of class reminds me of the 18th century. Does it? Does it by gad? Adam's 18th century observation corner. I don't know if you're aware, Jay, but I did quite a lot of work on radical newspapers in late 18th century Sheffield a few years ago. Indeed. In, in another project for yeah. which I often look for opportunities to mercilessly produce quantifiable impact for that research. Mm -hmm. So what that project was about was these newspapers in 18th century Sheffield that were printed in the 1790s. They were edited by a man called Joseph Gales and then by a man called James Montgomery and they featured a regular feature called Poetry Corner. And the idea was that people from Sheffield could write these poems that would then be printed in the newspapers. I think a lot of them were written by James Montgomery, the editor using different names to these I always think that about Poetry Please on Radio 4 with yeah. Roger McGough I think he's writing most I think he's writing all that yeah. himself yeah <laughs> well, I think... last Duchess I think he's responsible for that <laughs> they're always requesting that one but well, yeah, anyway, well, it's the same. It's the same. I think you it's the same as that. So, um, these poems would appear every week, and a lot of them are protest poems, and a lot of them, I think, are relatively satirical. We don't know exactly who wrote them. We know that James Montgomery might be involved, but certainly they're from lower and, mid lower and middle class writers in Sheffield, mm -hmm. written and printed for the people who are buying newspapers in Sheffield. So it's not not especially elite. And I've just got one here, which I'd like to read out, called the Statesman's Soliloquy. Go on. I'll be reading. The Statesman's Soliloquy. Reform, the Statesman cries. Ye powers forfend, e'en from the word what horrors die impend. Reform, aye, shield me from its searching eyes. Aid me, ye schemes, ye arts, ye subtlest lies. And then he goes on. I'll put a link to this on the blog. <laughs> um, but he goes on and basically imagines reform. He's a politician and he imagines reform as this horrible demon that's going to come and ruin everything for him. It's a soliloquy, so it's not the poetic voice speaking, it's the voice of this character. And he goes on to basically say that he'll do anything he'll accept bribes he'll do any kind of treachery to avoid having to be subjected to reform and then at the end of the poem he, he says give me yet one septennial more to reap one more septennial let the people sleep so he's sort of saying just don't wake them up don't make them realize how exploitative the political system is let them stay asleep please reform stay away a little bit longer and then the final couplet of the poem is is not him speaking but the, the narrator who tells us he ceased and hurrying to Stephen's gate that's place in sheffield find still new cause to curse his pending fate so basically reform is going to get him so it's, it's a caricature basically of local politicians and the extent to which they benefit from an unreformed political system and how they will go to any lengths 
to prevent interrogation or reform of that system, written by a middling sort, possibly, gentleman in 18th century Sheffield. So what's the parallel? That satire being used at a much at a local, regional level, engaging with lower class writing in a way that hasn't been celebrated, that isn't anthologised. Mm. I mean, it's available in one anthology called Poetry, Conspiracy, Radicalism in Sheffield that I co-edited with Hamish Matheson. But generally speaking, it's not in your Norton anthologies. No. So, that, so that's just satire being mobilised in, in a different way, perhaps, in a way that's not particularly associated with elitism. What's the book that you're looking at, Joe? Oh, I'm just looking at a book called Seditious Things, which says it's cobbled together by Stephen Kay and Jack Windle, um, and it's a collection of the songs of Joseph... Well, I said Mather before, but you're telling me it's Mather. I think it's Joseph Mather, okay, yeah. Okay, right. Um, Sheffield's Georgian punk poet. Oh, yes. Because I, I didn't know they even had punks they, well, in the 18th century, no, I think it's a, what he was. a pleasing anachronism. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to read it out loud but lots of lots of poems satirizing either just people the guy knew or mm. things that had happened or concepts like quack doctors and so on and doing so in a regional dialect that's right yeah I mean, well joseph mather in fact was a contemporary of james montgomery who was writing the poems in the newspaper and he was illiterate he couldn't write or read but apparently he would mm. come up with these ballads oftentimes to be sung in the factories and things and uh, someone would write them down for him as he as he dictated them and then he would ride around Sheffield selling them in exchange for money obviously off of the back of a donkey yeah like that's a very working class author there using satire and and also um, coining the word lol though I didn't know there were punks in the 18th century but also he makes heavy use of the word uh, lol yeah lol 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 la is a well, there we go. in the poem Round legs. Round legs. <laughs> okay, very good. Round legs should be buried if a fold when he's dead and his ass is cold. Mm. Fall. Lol. Lol. La. Very good. Let's end. Should we get Let's out leave. Of this godforsaken hellhole. Adam's 18th century observation corner. It's definitely a thing, though, isn't it? I mean. Not all satirists are white male Oxbridge educated, but they're quite well represented, mm. those those men, aren't they, in the field of satire? They are, they are. And as we see countless times on this podcast, when we are talking about who's saying satire is or isn't dead or whatever, it's always the same three men, isn't it? It's yeah, the same yeah. three white men. Yeah. And it's not like you learn how to do satire when you go to Oxford or Cambridge, so it can't just be a question of them being better qualified than the rest of us, and yet somehow that's who the satirists often are. Although Charlie Brooker went to Polytechnic of Central London and Chris Morris went to Bristol, and yeah. Amanda Iannucci, although he did study at Oxford, also studied at Glasgow, so yeah. there is some diversity there in the types of universities yeah. they're going to and coming from, but they are all still white, white men. men. And I suppose another thing to add, and this is relevant to the guest that we're going to be talking to, is that in some ways there's been potential for satire to be somewhat democratised in the sense that Twitter is full of it. Not all of it great, not all of it successful, but actually some really interesting moments in terms of satire. And we've talked about memes on the podcast and in other contexts. So there is a kind of potential for more people to get to do satire via Twitter. Yeah, and Twitter is one of the many places where you might encounter the comedy of Janie Godley. It is indeed, yes. What sort of things might you see? She does funny voices over videos of politicians. Yes. It's probably the main, one of the main things that she goes viral for. And also is a fairly prolific tweeter as well, isn't she? Yeah, but, um, but in addition to that, she's written books. Yep. She does. She appears on panel shows. She has a sellout stand-up tour. And, uh, and was a regular guest on Radio 4's Just a Minute, and sadly in the news at the moment because of the recent death of Nicholas Parsons. And Just a Minute is actually a relatively honourable exception, it seems to me, in terms of panel shows, specifically... Mm. 6.30 Radio 4 comedy panel shows mm -hmm. in that it does seem to be 
be slightly less weighted towards male voices. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe that's all down to Janie Godley. That's true. And uh, although she doesn't identify as a satirist, she's often in discussions around satire because yeah. of the videos she does with politicians and because she does have a platform on social media. Mm. But she just also identifies having come from a working class background. Yes. Also, so she's the perfect person for us to talk to today. So Shall should we, we give that? this a call? <laughs> Hello, hi, this, I'm Joe, and uh, here's Adam. I'm Adam, hello. Yeah. But don't worry, I won't swear, um, and I won't say the You can swear. Word. You can swear if you like. Yeah, we normally we say do. on the podcast, yeah. we warn people that it, that it can get quite sweary. Janie, you won the main comedy prize at the Herald Scottish Culture Awards this year. You're an activist, a comedian, a big Twitter user, and a person who thinks Donald Trump is a c- We want to yeah. talk about all those things, but we thought we'd start with a comment that you made about satire in a Guardian interview this summer. So you were talking about your voiceover videos, and you said something that's really interesting to us which is you began by saying I can't believe people like them so much but then we don't have many satirical shows and the ones we do have are like have I got news for you and I you were the first working class Scottish female comic ever to do it so even when we have satire is not relatable to everybody the question we have is is it a conscious part of your work to make satire relatable and what do you think are the key differences between what you're doing and what have I got news for you is trying to do um I think it's all intertwined I think that we're all subconsciously letting our voices be heard I don't specifically set out with an agenda to fill a space that I think is missing I think I just organically naturally use my cheeky chippy Glasgow attitude and people seem to like it and I think it's important that people hear satire and this accent as well because satire is often and probably wrongly but often associated with the Cambridge footlights and with Stephen Fry and with very much upper class middle class Oxbridge set people they do satire very well and I think it's important to hear it from somebody who's actually been homeless and who's been hungry and who's suffered poverty it's not just a holding a mirror up to society satire should be a lived experience as well yes we perhaps do have an unconscious expectation that satire sounds oxbridgey and posh people who live in the most roughest working class areas have been using satire in song and in comedy and in poking fun at the people above and politicians but I suppose what I'm trying to say is if I do satire I'm just a woman who in a a room above a pub but if a a middle class man does it then it, it seems more valid and it's the same with swearing if a posh English woman swears if Phoebe Waller Bridgie swears it's cool. If I swear, I've fucking offended the world. It sounds like it's a very organic form of punching up then that's emerged there. Clearly from what you've just been saying already, accent is a big part of that. How else would you kind of describe the ways in which satire works in those voiceovers? I think what I'm doing is I'm translating the shite that they talk into Mm. everyday speech. And what's beautiful and very unique about it is I'm not doing it in a, hi there, I'm Boris Johnson and I'm a big banana. I'm not doing it in that accent. I'm doing it in my accent and I'm basically saying, hi, I'm Boris Johnson. I've lost six votes in Parliament. My own party stabbed me in the back, but never mind. I can make a cup of tea and talk about the clash. And people love that because I'm not doing it as as someone who's representing just one part of the country. I'm doing it as somebody who not only is apparently too old to be working the internet, I'm nearly 60. I'm doing it as a woman and I'm doing it with a regional accent. And I think that's grasped some 
zeitgeist, people have went, fuck, she's right. I don't care what accent she's using, she's right. We were just looking at a couple of those clips before we started the interview and um, the Boris Johnson, when your uncle goes crazy at a wedding one. Yeah, talking to you now, I can see there's more layers than we might have spotted initially. Because, I mean, even that title, when your uncle goes crazy at a wedding, seems like quite a conscious way of reminding us that Boris Johnson isn't some other species. He isn't something special or no. Think it like this. Imagine you're on a train and a man stands up, a very posh middle class man stands up and gives a big speech about how politics is damaging our country and the politics aren't representing the people that we are. And then a wee Glaswegian woman in a headscarf and a pair of sandal stands up and goes, he's an arsehole. People would more likely lay claim and give more agency to the posh man who spoke because he spoke better. And he's basically saying Boris is an arsehole, but the wee woman in the coat and the headscarf said the exact same thing. I think what I've done is I've bridged that gap of it doesn't matter how lower class my accent is, it doesn't matter where I come from, what I'm saying is valid. And I think that's the surprising thing about voiceovers is that, for instance, my friend works in PR in London and food PR and she had a couple of food journalists and she's Scottish, my best friend is Scottish and she was at a dinner and these women were all chatting and they said, oh my God, you must, you're Scottish, you must know the Scottish women and they didn't know that she was like my sister and they're like, she's called Janie Godley and she does these voiceovers about politics and she's bang on the money. Let me, give me your phone and I'll show you how to follow her. My best friend went, that's basically my sister. She's my best pal. And she couldn't believe that these really in a bubble type of journalists, because these are journalists that just discuss food, fucking foraged mushrooms, could know who I was. And that's becoming a very constant conversation. Her sister lives in Australia and she does PR over there. And she went every dinner I go to with a Scottish Accent. people hold their phones up and go do you know this woman she's like yes 25 years she's my best pal so it's far reaching and it's far reaching different circles of journalism and thought processes you mentioned there that all through history people have used satire to punch up when they yes. have to do you think that satire is as particularly potent or in some of these cases the only way to reach the kinds of audiences that you are absolutely you think of all the people who aren't engaged in politics and i know lots of people who are not engaged in politics i know i know that i've politicized people into mm-hmm. chatting about it through facebook and through twitter people have written to me and said i I never knew that the Labour Party in Glasgow fought for years to stop women getting equal pay and then the SNP came in and solved it. People didn't know that happened until I did a voiceover. I know that me saying this politicises people and, and gives them a reason through comedy to go research and make their own formed opinion. That's a whole new level, yeah, isn't well, it? it? On the podcast, we so I work on 18th century literature, Joe works on 19th century literature and in one of our episodes last year we spoke to someone called Wendy McGlashan from the University of Aberdeen, who works on an Edinburgh-based cartoonist in the 18th century called John Kay. And she said the exact same thing. He would like mm. make these cheap caricatures and basically give them away on the street and people would laugh at them. But Wendy's whole PhD is about how they actually politicised people and got people yes. thinking about politics who wouldn't. It sounds like that's really similar. But it's working yes. exactly the same way, isn't it? Absolutely. How did the voiceover start then? Where did it all begin? It's a big long story. You know my daughter Ashley Story, she's a stand-up and a broadcaster. Mm. Ashley's got her own radio show on BBC and she's got her own TV show on BBC. 
BBC Scotland and stuff, and Ashley's always been a stand-up. During the day, we put on the TV, and it'll be some old black and white film with Anthony Quayle and Sir John Mills on a submarine. And we put the volume down, and we've always done the voices like, oh, the entertainment on this ship is shite, isn't it? <laughs> oh, let's get them jerrys. Do you think Stephen will make an omelette today for dinner? We would voice over them just for our own entertainment. And right. we've done that for years and years. And sometimes I would Facebook them live, and people would piss themselves laughing at <laughs> Ashley and I's sudden improvisation in Dallas and not Dallas but it's the other one the, the, the one with Joan Collins in it the, yeah, the, the fans yeah oh fuck are you shitting me that is live ripe for voiceover all these women walking about in fancy dresses and men making business deals and Ashley would be like we're not speaking about business there's a lady in the room and all that <laughs> we would do all that constantly I'd be like I want to involve in the business you can't you're wearing gold lamy. You can't be involved in this business. So we would do this just to entertain ourselves. And then three years ago, when Theresa May called an election, we had Nicola Sturgeon, Ruth Davidson, and Theresa May constantly, constantly, constantly on the telly. So I just decided to make them talk absolute shit. And the first one I did was like, oh, I heard that your dog did a shit in my uncle's garden. And I'll tell you something, my dog has never shit in MD's garden. And it was not just crap that I spoke, but people laughed so much. But then when I started to progress with them, I started to make political references in them. But not all of them are politicians. Some are just like animals like the recent one with the two raccoons climbing up yeah. a wall, you know, and it's just like we Scottish mummies going, get down off of there, what have I told you? Don't make me take you to Carlisle, because in Scotland <laughs> you can't hit children, but you can hit them in England. So we, I, I created a joke called, don't make me take you to Carlisle. You see, you moved from whatever was on telly to politicians, but still sometimes do uh -huh. animals and so on as well. You've, you've yeah. said, I think, that politicians sometimes ask you if you will actually do a Janie Godley voiceover of yes. this. How yes. do you respond to that? I tell them they just need to wait the fucking turn. Nice. <laughs> nice. Because it's a bit like with... Yeah, 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 exactly. Because it, it helped a lot of people as much, apparently, as much as it damaged them. So yeah. Thatcher really liked her puppet, didn't she? So yeah. Do, yeah. do you kind of worry that if you did them for whoever asked you to, then you might accidentally help someone's career in some way? Everybody knows my politics. I'm a socialist. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big SNP supporter. And that's that's who I am. And that's who I'll always be. I'm very anti-Tory. But with Teresa, I stopped giving Teresa political messages and just created a backstory that she lives in Torremolinas. So instead of giving her a political voice, I gave her a nondescript. I'm a woman. I live in Torremolinas. And I'm going to start a wee Snapchat group and get all the Sandras over to do the Zumba. So I gave her a caricature life because... I wouldn't give her a voice that helped anything, you know. And I guess another thing the last couple of years that was that was absolutely huge was the the Trump is a c picture. Um, yeah. So, like, could you, could you just tell us and our listeners like how how that happened, what it was like, and also do you consider that to have been a satirical act? Well, I woke up the day that I found out Scotland was getting dragged out of Europe because a lot of people in England had voted Brexit and Scotland didn't vote for Brexit. So that was the day I woke up and thought, are you fucking kidding me? So it was six o'clock in the morning and I got a text that says we're all going to Turnbury because Trump is coming. And I already had beef with Trump on Twitter because in 2012 he blocked me because he said my Aberdeen golf course had a storm and I said, ha ha, your golf course is fucked. Now, he could have just ignored me. He could have ignored me, but now we know he can't ignore people, so that's yeah. 
the first sign. And in 2012, he wrote back, actually, at Janie Godley, there's just a small den in the golf course. And I wrote back, here's a hint, why don't you grow the grass long and comb it over the hole? And he blocked <laughs> me. So I wow. thought, I'm already going to get beef with this dude. And, I, yeah. and this was just before the November election. So this was ju June. And I'm actually looking at the sign right now because I have it framed on the wall. Nice. So I um, got up really early, got a piece of lino, and I got a, a Sharpie. And my husband said, what are you going to put on it? And I went, I'm going to write Trump as a cunt. He went, oh, okay, that, that was quite a snap decision you've made. And I was like, <laughs> well, he is. He's a racist. He, he, the things he says about Mexicans, grabbing mum and by the pussy. Guy's a complete so yep. uh, I just went and when I got there the police tried to put us all into this car park in Kettles and I was like no that's the opposite of protesting is doing what the police tell you so I, I gave my phone to my friend and I said take this picture I'm going to stand over there make sure you get that helicopter and that building in so she just kept taking pictures and eventually the police ended up in the picture and I'm now barred from America I'm an enemy of the people oh dear well, you're, you're actually <laughs> banned from America yeah that's extraordinary. I mean, yeah. That, yeah. I know everyone's <laughs> sick of people saying this, but that it's amazing that the president of America was so riled by by yeah. that tweet in the first place, isn't it? It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's like you say, you can't let things go, can you? Yeah. No. Yeah. So I suppose what I like in that way, I kind of let things go either. So I just kept arguing more. There's a part of my personality that the more you tell me to go to sleep, the more I'll stay awake. If people, if people had stopped saying to me, oh, you're a woman, you, you're too working class, you shouldn't do comedy. If they hadn't said that, I'd have probably stopped. But the more people say things to me, the more I do them. It's a very damaged part of my personality. <laughs> <laughs> Would you characterise that as being something satirical that you did? It was satirical. It was a genuine protest. It wasn't a publicity stunt because I didn't know it was going to go viral. It wasn't absolute, you know, it's that, that's a word we use in Scotland. So you're a cunt. And, mm -hmm. and, and I stood with it. And people were just absolutely A, horrified and B, hysterically laughing. So that's the true satire. When it makes people frightened and laugh at the same time, that's satire. Uh, hypothetical question now. Do you think there are dangers from a society where we would no longer have satire or where satire was was overly censored or policed do you think is that is yeah that, or yeah. inaccessible I or, or inaccessible well. yeah do you think we need to make sure that yeah we need can... we need people to speak out i mean when armando ianucci retweets me or says this is wonderful my heart is huge because he is the foremost satirical and of course he's a, a scot an immigrant if an immigrant family italian scot and and i love the fact that satire is out, and it's important that it stays out there it's important that we challenge and we hold the mirror up to society it's important that we poke fun at people and pe you know the, the funny thing is is a lot of trolls trolled me and sent me pictures saying jenny godley is a cunt and thinking that would upset me and i absolutely love it because if I stop Yuthi saying that, then you can stop Meethy saying it. So I'm like, this is wonderful, send me more. And people say, what if I stand outside your gigs with a poster saying Jenny Godless? I'm like, please do that. That would be great. <laughs> that could be your thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's get that word do it there. Let's call everybody it. You know, let's <laughs> let's do it. Don't don't dampen people's opinion down. That leads really nicely into the the last thing that I wanted to talk about this afternoon, which is so you've talked about how you're you're pretty chill about people saying you're a cunt or whatever, but you do receive uh, it seems to me a lot more than your fair share of abuse and have done on Twitter, and some of it is particularly distinctively misogynistic abuse. So I was just oh yeah, what... it's anonymous football fans. It tends yeah. to be anonymous football fans. 
And um, what they do is, is they have like Reddit blogs and they have their own web pages with their own lonely fucking football unionist chat rooms and things. And they put up my tweet and they tell everybody to come and call me names. And it's really funny because some people just, some poor anonymous football fan and goes, I don't know why I'm here. They're just told to do it. And what I do is, is I just mass block, mass block, mass block, mass block. Yeah. I mean, for instance, the BBC, when they put out videos, um, like BBC Scotland will put out the BBC, the social or the video. Any video, if they put out videos of Scottish boys doing stand-up, it gets like 30 comics. If they put one of me or other female comics out, you just have to look beneath it and see all the union flags and football icons beneath it. It's all football fans who men, anonymous, majority is anonymous male football fans who come to tell you that you have to stop doing your job. Yeah. They, 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 don't like you. they often seem to take the line that you're not as famous as you think you are, or that you're not famous. Oh, yeah, they like to tell me how yeah. big my rooms are and you couldn't swing a cat in that room. I'm like, it's the Aberdeen Tivoli Theatre that holds 500 people. How big <laughs> is your fucking cat? You know? <laughs> Do you think of yourself as a satirist? And if so, what do you think that means? No, I think I'm a stand up comedian who's lived a bit who's got a voice that's as valid as anybody else's. I just do what I do and I enjoy it. And I open the show by saying 25 years of stand-up and it took a Tory to make me famous. Thank you, Teresa. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck fuck knows I just do what I do. Yeah. That's the tagline for the episode, maybe. Well, I really enjoyed speaking to Janie Godley today. Yeah, that was was so interesting, wasn't it? It was really fascinating. She's really generous as well. I really appreciated that. And however, we are now coming to the end of the time we've got, so Mm. we're going to have to start wrapping this up and saying goodbye, aren't we? We are. But I did just think it was worth mentioning, of course, that for anybody who's listening to this on the day that the podcast is released, it is, of course, Valentine's Day, just as it was when the first episode came out many months ago. It was, and we used short Valentine's ditties to promote the podcast, didn't we, in the weeks ahead of its release. Shall we have a go at doing one now that is topical? Yes. I could just... I could just... You the first line, we'll see what okay. happens. So, roses are red. Violets are blue. The elite can do satire. But so can you. Very good, I can't believe that worked out. Happy Valentine's yeah, Day, happy everyone. Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, One and all. Happy Valentine's Day to all of our listeners. Time to stop. Time to say goodbye. Before we go... Can you hit us up in our socials if you've heard this podcast, if you liked it, if you didn't like it, if you're aware of it, if it changed how it made you feel. Or do- yeah, we need your metrics. And we'll see you again in March because uh, we'll be back with an episode called Curating Satire, which we'll be speaking to Dr Sarah Burnage from Fairfax House, a Georgian house museum in the city of York. Yeah, and it's going to be a big month for satire in March, isn't it? Because we will also be at Fairfax House. We will, launching our unit and launching an exhibition that Joe and I have been involved with at Fairfax House called Keeping Up With The Georgians. Yes. Satire and Society in the 18th Century. For more information about that, please do visit our website by Googling the words satire, deaths, births and legacies. But for now, I think it really is time to say goodbye. We hate to go. We do hate to go. Goodbye, listeners. Sit up. Shut up. Annie, my satire. Bye.